you are ethically retarded that your your behavior is governed in such a an absurd and arbitrary way that on Thursday you will attack someone and on Friday you will smile at them for the exact same behavior so you're cognitively and ethically retarded find your damn moral compass Today's video is going to be on ethics and how to tell if something is ethically good or not. This is all based around the idea of normative ethics and deontological and teleological uh, ethics, but don't let the big words scare you. Basically, what it means is, can you decide something was morally good because of its intent, because of what it is inherent in itself, the action? Was that a, was that a moral act? Or should we instead measure the outcome so it doesn't matter what you did we measure what actually happened from your action don't worry about your intent what was the consequence there are two very distinct ways of looking at ethics and determining what is morally good previously we did a video on the difference between positive law and natural law that was a way of discovering whether something is legal or not because whether if you believe in positive law then you look to see whether it's uh, legislated, whether it's validly made, and then you can say that's legal or not. If you're an advocate of natural law or natural justice, which is a more historical view, which is now shifting towards positive law, but if you're an advocate in a perspective of natural justice and natural law, you would say, well, uh, it doesn't matter. If you make a law saying we can do X, if that's, that's morally wrong, then I am going to disobey that law. So for example, kids playing on playgrounds right now uh, I don't personally I don't believe that is morally correct to shut down outdoor playgrounds with zero science uh, and open them again with zero science in here in Victoria uh, to the point where children are suffering uh, not all I get it not all some children are fine but some are and they really need the parks uh, right up to the level of some autistic kids need to actually move in a swinging motion to keep sane I think it is morally wrong to, to close the parks unless you can demonstrate some evidence that they need to be closed. So, because I'm a fan of this natural natural law, natural justice, I allow my kids to swing on the playground. Someone who believes in positive law would say, oh, that's completely wrong, I'm breaking the law. That was a great video, link is in the description below. Today we're going to look at moral, mor morality, ethics, how to make that distinction, okay? And we're going to look at um, uh, what actually happened with the playgrounds in terms of no evidence. Uh, we're going to look at the... Uh, the, what I think is a cognitively and ethically retarded response by the parents. We're going to look at the use of the word retarded and why that's blown up uh, online and why it's so uh, contentious. We're going to look at the power of words. Uh, we're going to look at uh, a Hollywood movie clip. Very cool clip, which goes to town on the retard use, which is interesting. Then we're going to look at the this ethical difference I've been talking about, the deontological versus teleological ethics, how that came about, make some comparisons, and then see what came out of it, out of that two competing thought patterns, uh, one of them being utilitarianism, which is what we're seeing arise around the world today, and how people can justify terrible, terrible acts as long as you get a good outcome. You know, the ends justify the means. That's a teleological ethical stance. Uh, and then finally, we'll look at some of the criticisms of uh, the two different types of ethical perspectives 
And then we will finish by, I'll tell you a bit about uh, someone who I interviewed with last night who actually tested some of these theories in a lab in Brisbane and in Sydney. Uh, very exciting interview. Okay, so let's start. The reason why this has come up is because of my use of the word retarded, which you've heard me say a couple of times now. I'm going to say it a million times going forward. So if you're offended by that, grow some spine because we're going to actually explore why you're offended by it uh, and, and whether I should be saying the word or not. All right, playgrounds, okay? This week, Brett Sutton has admitted, he's our chief health officer here in Victoria, Australia, that there was no science to close the playgrounds. Look at this. In a stunning admission, sure to enrage Melbourne families, Victoria's Cho, Brett Sutton, admitted on Wednesday that the parks were banned for the last month to get at the parents. So we can't see those behaviours occurring, and if they do occur again, of course, I'll have to come to the same consideration about whether we can have playgrounds open. Two weeks ago, we were seeing non-compliant behaviours that were putting others at risk, so the closure of playgrounds was the response to that. So we have an admission from Brett Sutton, and stunningly, uh, a seeming sponsor of this idea of punishing kids to swipe at parents. This is the very behavior I've been calling uh, in Instagram stories retarded, ethically retarded and cognitively retarded. Let me tell you why. Let's do cognitive first and ethically second. When I'm in the park and, and hundreds of you have sent me stories of the same thing happening to you. When I'm at the park, another parent with their little kids, similar age, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, around that age, various, various ages will approach. And they, they themselves might be playing, kicking a ball 10 meters to the left sitting on the park bench, uh, doing all those you know, sorts of basic park activities. But then we'll come and swing on the swing 10 to 20 meters to their right. And those parents, and scarily sometimes the kids, will scream at my little wife who's with the two kids or scream at me when I'm there with them or, this is crazy, scream at my kids. And what they're screaming, various things, but sometimes they're screaming, you're spreading the virus. You can't do that. That's illegal. You're spreading the virus. Another one said, oh, you just want to spread the virus. Like you're climbing a tree there. There's four kids with you. There's two kids plus me here in the playground. There's no one else on this playground. You're on that park bench sitting there eating a sandwich. They're climbing the tree. But cognitively, they are retarded as in their development has cognitively not reached the level you would expect of someone their age, 35, 45 years old. Ethically, please tell me why on Thursday, the parks reopen on Friday, why on Thursday you're going to come and yell at my children or yell at my wife or yell at me and my wife and my children, but on Friday you're going to smile at us like you usually do when you walk past in the park and you see my kids giggling on the swing. You are ethically retarded that your your behavior is governed in such a an absurd and arbitrary way that on Thursday you will attack someone and on Friday you will smile at them for the exact same behavior. So you're cognitively and ethically retarded. Find your damn moral compass. So I've used these words those of you watching on YouTube would not have seen this. This blew up on Instagram because people are like, you can't use the word retarded. Well, let's have a look at the whole advocacy around the push to stop using the word retarded. Okay. And why I actually agree with it. 
So we have uh, mentally impaired kids, uh, people with disabilities, uh, through no fault of their own. And all throughout my life, I was a kid of the 80s and the 90s, we've all seen this. uh, The word retard became a pejorative. Uh, Luke, shut up, you're retarded. Just because you're bullying, picking on another kid in school. You know, you're 10 years old. Uh, Look at you, you tripped over, you spastic. These are medical words to describe mentally disabled people, right? Oh, you're such an idiot, you moron. You're What a retard, miss, right? This use of slang, general pejorative just to call someone a retard, I think is terrible. I, 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 we shouldn't, I, I, I'm a kid of the 80s. I remember doing it. I remember people doing it to me, but I, I don't think we should. I agree with the advocates when they say we shouldn't fling these words around as a slang. It gets worse. Some people would actually use it as an attack on the mentally disabled child and say, oh, we don't, we don't want him around here. He's just one of those retards. That is like subhuman act, treating him like an animal. That's disgusting. So the advocates, by and large, have it right. They say, look, that's offensive. You can't, you can't just take a medical condition and then appropriate that into your culture of bullying and pejoratives and, and slang and, and all of that. And I, I agree with them. And a lot of people in the Instagram comments don't. A lot of them say, yeah, this situation's retarded. Yep, retarded, retarded, retarded. I don't agree with that. I don't like to use the word that way. But there is a problem when some of the advocates go a step further and they start banning banning the use of the word retarded. So some of them will say, this word is banned. You cannot use it, ever. Even in a scientific and, and vocabulary accurate sense, like I've been describing these parents, you cannot use it. No, it's banned. This is a problem. This is, a pro- this is problematic, as they would say, because... We use the word retarded all the time. For example, I'm a pilot. When we fly, we retard the throttles. In fact, let me show you this clip. This is what it sounds like in a cockpit when you're landing. 60, 50, 40, 30, 20, retard, retard. Spot us. So there are clearly times to use the word. The problem is not the word. The problem is what the advocates started going up against a long time ago, which is the intent and the heart behind why people are using these words to tear others down. There's a big difference between what they should be doing, which is fixing our poor language and progressing the way we relate to one another in society and, and making a difference and, and, and all of that. But elevating it to being a moral offense kind of a moral right not to be offended. You can't say that word because you offend me. A lot of the dissent coming at me, at least in the Instagram, was not, I disagree with your use of the word. Can you please find a better word? Was there a better word? We shouldn't really, what, what, this kind of attack, this kind of um, dissent. It was mostly attack, screaming, outraged. How dare I'm unfollowing you immediately. Quite frankly, I'm glad you have. If that is your response... Um, to these 30 or 40 people, how dare you, you're a bigot, you, and then F, C, F, all the words you could imagine. One guy strung together a, a, a 15 adjectives to describe me. It was just horrific. Uh, completely not even trying to use the word well, like I'm trying to use the word retard well. Well, if you're going to elevate words to have that much authority over you, here's some good advice. Never give anyone, including me, anyone else 
authority over your your mind, your emotions, uh, your your state of your life, your day. You should not be ceding the responsibility and and the authority uh, to a word that someone else uses. Let me tell you a famous quote. Someone sent this quote to me. He who takes offense when offense was not intended is a fool. But he who takes offense when offense is intended is an even greater fool. See, the thing is, this is a lie imported from the woke left part of the United States, which elevates the power of speech over you in your sense of personal responsibility and authority. It robs you of your agency if I or anyone can say a word that destroys your day. We must be bigger than that. Jordan Peterson said it this way. In order to be able to think, you have to risk being offensive. And if we're going to think right now, then we need to grow up a little in the way we're responding to words. Because the real power in the offense of the word, say, retard or whatever else, someone calls you a spastic. uh, The real power of that is not in them saying it. The real power is in what that word does when it hits your ears and it hits your heart. We can control that. All right, here is a good social experiment, which I did with the Instagram people. I'm going to play a clip from a Hollywood movie right now. This clip is from Tropic Thunder, 2008 movie, a satire movie, a parody, completely designed to take blackface, retard, all of these things to an extreme. Uh, Hollywood culture, um, um, filmmaking, um, egos, uh, machoism, masculine, toxic masculinity. It takes it all to the absolute extreme to make fun of it. Its core message is we should not be doing blackface. We should not be slinging the word retard around. But to do that, they take it to the extreme. And then this movie has now become loved by the thinking class who, who see what it's trying to do and hated by those who give up their sense of agency to words because they use all these naughty words and it's terrible and it should be cancelled. So watch this clip from this movie and see how you feel when all of these things get challenged, when you get challenged by them. Because if if you your first unction is to can it, cancel it, censor it because it's bad, I'd be questioning whether you're giving way too much power to these things and you're responding out of fear. Or whether your your um, response to it is uh, simple humor. Oh, that's funny. Everything's retarded. We're retarded, 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 retarded. I would argue maybe you should think a bit deeper about why you're using these words because that's I don't think that's very cool either. But if you your response to this is, wow, I can't believe that that we as a society can be that stupid. Let's, let's maybe stop using blackface. Let's maybe stop uh, throwing around the, around the word retarded. Well, then you, my friend, are on the path to thinking. You're serious? You don't know. <laughs> Everybody knows you never go full retard. What do you mean? Check it out. Dustin Hoffman, Ray Man, look retarded, act retarded, not retarded. Cat two picks, cheated cards, autistic, show, not retarded. You got Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump. Slow, yes, retarded, maybe, braces on his legs, but he charmed the pants off next to him and won a ping pong competition. That ain't retarded. He was a goddamn war hero. Right. You know any retarded war heroes? You went full retard, man. Never go full retard. After all of this uh, malarkey with the retard use in the story, somebody messaged me and said, look, 
thank you for raising and defending deontological ethics. <laughs> I said to him, what the hell is deontology, deontological ethics? So keep that in mind when I make these videos. I am no more expert than you. I just, I research, I read, and I deliver to you what I find, and I hope it's helpful, and you can do the same thing. All right, so I've since educated myself this morning on deontological ethics versus teleological ethics and consequentialism and utilitarianism. We're going to go through it now, and I'm going to show you how it applies to what we're seeing around the world with CHO directives and lockdowns and so on. All right, first of all, let's look at the difference between deontological and teleological ethics. Um, ethics, just the description of what is right, how should we live our lives. Okay, on the left, deontological ethics would say uh, the goodness or badness of anything <clears throat> is determined by the action. Uh, it comes from the German philosopher Immanuel Kant. He actually, um, in, he's got something called Kantian ethics. Uh, he actually talks about, it's about the intent. It's about the intent of what you do. Uh, the only behavior that can be considered ethical is the one that has good will behind it. On the flip side, teleological uh, ethics can also be described as consequentialism. What are the consequences of your action? So it's a consequence-based view of ethics. Um, it uh, Bentham is, oh my goodness. Okay, so in a previous video we did on natural law versus um, positive law, Jeremy Bentham came up as a very big very big uh, proponent of positive law, bringing, putting people in prison and panopticons and speed cameras and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, a lot of this comes from him and from uh, uh, utilitarian comes from him as well. This idea is based on, look, it doesn't matter what you need to do to get there. It's the ends justifying the means. You've heard that saying before, right? So you can do whatever you like as long as we get to the to the end. Now, I'm giving you the pure form of each each argument. You know, both are insufficient at this stage, I believe. Uh, but as you can see, one is firmly based on what did you intend and, and, and is your action right in, in and of itself? And then we can argue about the consequences being good or bad. That's that's separate from the ethics of your action. Or the other one says, doesn't matter what your original action was, uh, what are the consequences? And that's how we measure. From this, we get, for example, the saying, the greatest good for the greatest number is because you can justify any behavior as ethical as long as it produces good in the end. These two things can be broken down into a branch. So let's have a look at deontological on the left, which is it's about the ethics of the action, and teleological on the right, which is about it's the, it's the ethics of the outcome. Okay, on the left. Uh, most famous, as I said, was the German philosopher Immanuel Kant. He said, it does not require the additional condition that it must do harm to another. So in other words, he's talking about an ethical action doesn't require a consequence of harm to be negative. He says, for a lie is uh, a, a lie always harms another, always. So if you heard people say, oh, it's only a white lie, didn't hurt anyone. Well, Immanuel Kant would say, no, a lie always harms another. If not some human being, so if you can't measure this harm, then it nevertheless does harm to humanity in general. So this, this is a deontological perspective, which says it's about doing... Peter Hitchens, who I interviewed recently, had the same perspective. It's about doing the right thing because of the right thing's sake. Truth for truth's sake. Okay. From there, if you go down the left, you get these maxims of consistency, human dignity, and universality. You know, it is what it is. You can't change that. You can't justify the means by having a good end. On the right-hand side, teleological or consequentialism. It's all about measuring the consequences. So right or wrong... 
depends on the outcome of your decisions. And then you get uh, a couple of theories, actually more than egoism and utilitarianism. But today we're going to focus on the big one, utilitarianism. So utilitarianism came from Jeremy Bentham, who we just talked about with the Panopticon. Uh, if you haven't seen that episode where we, we did a deep dive on him, have a look at that link in the description below. And it really is most well exemplified in the trolley problem. Do we all know the trolley problem? This is the trolley problem. It is a ethical dilemma. Let's say there is a train running on tracks that can't be stopped. And there are people, one, two, three, four, five, five people lying down, immobilized on the tracks, whether they're tied down or whatever, they're stuck there. So this trolley or train, it's an old English word, this train is going to run over the five people straight ahead and squash them, kill them, tear them apart, right? Dead. This other track, as you can see, diverted down to the downwards, has one person tied to the track. The trolley problem is this. You are the man or woman standing at that switch in the middle who can switch the tracks. The question is, what is the ethical thing to do in this situation? Because if you do nothing, if you weren't there at all, then the train or the trolley would go straight ahead and would run over and chop five people and kill five people. Okay, so that's no intervention at all. If you intervene, if you happen to be there or you run over to the switch and you intervene, you can throw the tracks and you can cause the train or the trolley to curve to the right and to go down and kill only one person. So the conundrum of this trolley problem is, is it ethically good to throw the tracks and kill one person and save the five? Or not, because natural mechanics of the world would say, you know, that just the natural uh, fate is that is the train is going straight. You shouldn't even be there in the first place. Like you, you're not at the switch, right? You're running up to the switch. So just imagine you're not there at all. Well, the natural order of things would be five people, five people die. And, and of course, if you measure this in terms of consequences, then we would rather kill one than kill five. Correct. Well, these are questions. I don't have answers. These are questions. Do you think it's right to throw the switch or not? Keeping in mind, if you do nothing, five will die. If you do something, can you be held liable for killing that one person? Is 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 the lives of these five that you saved enough of a defense for you either in court or, or in terms of morality even to say you did the right thing by killing this one other who never should have died? Because the, the, the train, the trolley, was never going to curve right except for your actions. Well, this is the trolley problem. The trolley problem is used broadly in society all the time. Economists use it all the time as well to try and determine maximum utility for the maximum number of people. Uh, but it's used in interesting things like this. This is autonomous vehicles. Uh, I remember doing a little bit of um, this kind of uh, thought experiment when I worked at Tesla where we autonomous vehicles and a real question is at the moment then the neural nets that that we're developing at Tesla are not at the stage yet of making these ethical decisions they're really just following simple heuristics it doesn't really make those kinds of decisions but what we're going to be seeing is something like this let's look at the top left so the, if you're driving along, and this is a modern day trolley problem, you're driving along, or the, the autonomous vehicle is driving along, and a person appears in front of you. You've got two choices, right? Just assume for a minute that you can't brake to stop them. You can either swerve to the right and smash your car into the wall, thus endangering the person driving, or the, the, the person sitting in the autonomous vehicle. 
but you'll save the blue on the left hand side the top left you'll save the man that was on the road or you can stay not swerve and you'll definitely hit the guy crossing the road so let's assume you'll do great damage to him but you probably won't damage the human sitting inside the vehicle at all okay so that's a pretty simple problem now if we look to the top right if we escalate this a little bit further what happens if there's a crowd of people in front of you so look at the blue the swerve scenario do you swerve does the autonomous vehicle swerve smash itself into the wall potentially injuring or killing the person inside or and and sparing the group or does it simply stay on course and protect the occupant in the middle and run over all of these soft meat bags we call humans and kill one two three four five six seven eight nine people and maim them what's what's your answer to that question which which is the more ethical thing here bottom left let's have a look now there's a person ahead on the road and a person where you would swerve to so either way you're going to hit someone now do you swerve and hit the person who's on the footpath who would not be expecting to be hit and in all fairness if you took no action they wouldn't be hit such as in the stay scenario the pink scenario uh, the person on the footpath is rightly going to think, well, I was on the footpath, I was doing the right thing. The natural order of things is the car went straight ahead and it killed the person on the road. How do you choose? Now, here is where the trolley problem really comes to a head. What if there's one person on the side where you would swerve? See in the bottom right example. You can either swerve and kill one person and save the nine, but you had to take an action. Or you can stay on course and kill the nine and 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 uh, that's sad because you saved one to kill nine well these are real questions that programmers of these neural nets are having to make these decisions how do we train autonomous vehicles to um to make ethical decisions it's very very hard because a a teleological consequentialist utilitarian perspective would say always 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 kill the fewest number of people right so you would always swerve and either kill the person in the car or kill the one to save the many okay utilitarianism is uh used broadly it's used in climate change uh in the sense of we need to make sure that we we fix the planet so if that means uh causing harms to a small number but it saves many then it's worth it uh there's a an, an age-old um an age-old uh, thought experiment about a surgeon who has uh, one healthy person with their organs intact and five people dying needing the organs from this one person so if the, if he kills this one person he can take the heart the liver the kidney the lungs and he can take he can kill one person but he can take that organs and and save five five so the question becomes should he kill that one person take harvest the five organs and, and save the five and here's a curious thought how you answer the surgeon question versus how you answered the autonomous vehicle question i suspect many of us would have said yes we should swerve and kill the occupant in the autonomous vehicle one occupant rather than running over 10 people i suspect some of us would have even thought some we should swerve and kill the one to save the nine people crossing the road but then as soon as we say should we kill one person and harvest their organs and save five most of us i suspect would say no 
it doesn't matter how good the consequences will be of this action. The action in in and of itself is evil, just killing someone and harvesting their organs. So here we have an interesting example where I think a lot of us would prefer a deontological approach uh, when it comes to the, the organ harvesting, but we would prefer a consequentialist approach, a utilitarian approach when it comes to the autonomous vehicle killing someone. There you go. Uh, this is where it all comes together with COVID. If you look around at how we're treating lockdowns and so on, how do you think we're approaching this? Are we approaching this with a deontological approach? Is it right at all to be uh, locking people up and so on? Or uh, are we approaching with a utilitarian perspective? It's about the greatest good for the greatest number. I would argue that's exactly what we're doing. There are some criticisms of utilitarianism, which you could apply to... Uh, to what we're doing with uh, lockdown restrictions around the world. One of the um, criticisms is there's an inability to quantify um, utility. So if you're going to say, we're going to lock up these people for this long because we might save um, this many people, well, there's a huge inability to predict how many we're going to save. And we're seeing this in Australia. We've seen models from the Bernie Institute and the Doherty Institute and the Grattan Institute saying, we're going to kill, uh, what did they say? If we open up at 50% in 40 weeks, we're going to kill... 45,000, well, it was some ungodly number like we're going to kill 1,500 people per day every day for the next few months. Like it's just, it's not accurate at all. Even in flipping Italy and US, that's no, that's ridiculous. But based on this kind of stuff, we are um, we're making these decisions. But the truth is we are really unable to quantify the, the true utility of what we're doing. And we're seeing a lot at the moment coming out of mainstream media saying, look, I don't think you're seeing the harms that we're actually doing to people and these predicted harms and models are wrong most of the time. So we can't quantify another criticism of this approach that we're taking is really, again, just a criticism of utilitarianism is that it ignores justice. Um, I don't know why my nose is so itchy. Maybe I've covered. Uh, there's a there's an old, old story uh, around this criticism about... Uh, consequentialism and, and utilitarianism uh, making decisions based on consequences ignores justice and, and here's the story this is from old school America back when uh, black people were uh, truly systemically um, you know apartheid and oppressed and everything in the US white um, white people were in the, in the majority there was this uh, thought experiment of if there was a, a crime a rape committed in a predominantly white community and they were uh, unfairly blaming uh, the black member of their community for doing the rape, which, from what I understand, is historically quite common. The police officer in charge of investigating and, and dealing with this is faced with a conundrum because he has this big community of white people who are racist in in baying for the blood of the black guy who um, who raped this person, but they don't have proof. They're just being racist, right? The cop investigating says, I will have riots by the white community unless I doctor up and frame this black guy, which I've no doubt has happened, uh, and send him to jail for it because it's just easier that way. Because if I come out and say no, so the cop knows that the black guy is not, is not guilty, right? If, he, if I come out and say the, the black guy didn't do it, here's some evidence, he has an alibi, it's definitely not him, everyone's going to riot they're going to probably go and kill some other black people in the neighborhood. You know, it's going to be a mess. So I might be better off to simply frame this guy, chuck him in prison. He goes down. That sucks. 
but we save a lot of other black lives and we save a lot of other um you know the white people in the community won't riot whatever a deontological perspective would say hang on hang on hang on you got to do what's right <laughs> it doesn't matter what the outcome is tell the truth and i think a lot of us would agree with this tell the truth and say no this black guy did not commit the rape is the evidence and deal with heaps more deaths if that's what happens through riots of other black people and why whatever but the utilitarian uh perspective would say i'd rather flip the switch on the trolley problem here and have one go down and save a whole bunch of others that was the classic example used to point out that uh, uh utilitarianism ignores justice another uh, another criticism is that it can't predict consequences not only can you not measure what the utility is of something you can't predict what's going to happen so if you look at the beginning of the lockdown scenarios around the world it was all about getting the vaccine and now that the vaccines are here and they're proving to be far less than effective in terms of um, preventing transmission and israel now has got their third booster shot and their cases are spiking like you wouldn't believe uh, you couldn't have predicted that you know i feel sorry for these premiers in some sense back in the day trying to predict this a year ago and you, you just can't predict so if if you if you what's going on in my nose if you can't predict uh what the consequences might be then how can you make a consequentialist decision in terms of ethics you can't all right another criticism is uh favoritism or special obligations to a to a group so let's go back to the trolley problem let's say you've got five strangers now and you agree we should throw the switch kill the one uh save the five uh or let's say you're driving you're in that autonomous vehicle and it can either swerve and kill one person on the footpath but not more than nine nine children crossing the road right what if that person the one that is going to die after you flip the switch or you swerve the car what if that one person was your wife your daughter that changes the game doesn't it would i kill my daughter to save five other strangers this brings me into the interview tonight tonight i'm publishing an interview with dr cameron murray dr cameron murray tested the trolley problem effectively and now you'll see it in the interview tonight where he showed that it is a natural state of humans to take advantage of someone that they like in the in-group so that's your daughter your wife whatever friends whoever's in your social group and you'll always prefer to give them a gain of say ten dollars even if that means at the expense of a hundred dollars to someone outside your group so his his solution to the trolley problem was if there is someone there that you value in your in-group you will always choose them over the others so if there was one person tied to the tracks and that was your daughter your wife or your friend or whatever but you didn't know the 16 people or the 30 people tied to the other tracks you would always choose to kill the 16 and save your save the one you know so that's uh, favoritism and that's an interview tonight very fascinating uh that is um that is consequentialism utilitarianism and that is how we're seeing it come out with COVID around the world and, and there's some of the criticism of it so then naturally you'd think we need to go over to the deontological ethics right we need to just make decisions on what is ethical and right in the first place and i tend to tend to drift towards that right however um despite the advantages of that i mean one of the advantages is that was um two two advantages one a deontological ethical perspective is more closely aligned with nature and that's proven by dr cameron murray's experiment 
uh, where he showed groups will favor, you know, we have this tribal monkey-like behavior no matter what. So um, a deontological um, perspective is uh, more aligned with our nature. We tend to not always look at the great utilitarian value of everything and sacrifice ourselves for the great noble greater good we don't do that which is why you have uh communist states like um china who are increasingly so uh and others they require force to 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 enforce a utilitarian perspective certainly north korea they do as well because it's not natural all right uh one of the other advantages of deontological ethics or doing the right thing for the sake of being the right thing is that you can go above and beyond utilitarianism strictly speaking does not allow you to go superfluously beyond so if you're doing something that is inherently good uh in deontological perspectives you could keep doing that you see this with charities you see this with you know what's his name loaves and fishes father chris o'reilly in sydney uh all these people who work hard for others and are so selfless they go far beyond what is required from a utility perspective a utilitarian point of view would say no just do enough and then move on and redistribute otherwise you're wasting time it's you you're marginally improving someone's life who's already good when ignoring the others so deontological ethics uh really allow people to go beyond utility and you get great works of art and you get great works of charity but there are weaknesses of deontological so for, for example it it may it could make the world morally worse so this is the argument for why are politicians trying to destroy us with these covid restrictions the answer is in my belief they're not they're not uh have a look at this quote by c.s lewis this quote uh, I think, explains pretty much everything we're seeing in terms of authoritarian premiers. With the exception of uh, probably some who are more clearly political and are just trying to do it for their own selfish needs, I find, by and large, most of them, so Dan Andrews, Gladys Berejiklian, certainly, uh, certainly Dan, uh, tends to have a moral crusade approach with the way they approach um, harming us for the greater good. All right. Of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely, sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. Because the robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep, and you can get away with it. His cupidity, or his greed, may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience." They may be more likely to go to heaven, yet at the same time likelier to make a hell of earth. So in other words, they believe they're doing the right thing and thus go to heaven, but really they're making hell on earth. This very kindness stings with intolerable insult to be cured against one's will and cured of states which we may not regard as disease. Hello, vaccines around the world is to be put on a level of those who have not yet reached the age of reason or those who never will to be classed with infants, imbeciles and domestic animals. That my friends is a big problem with the deontological ethic. If you, who gets to define what is inherently good, a good intention and a good action at the beginning of the day. I suspect that everyone is a mixture of deontological and teleological, and even leaders like Dan Andrews may engage in almost, almost socialistic type behaviors. Uh, certainly his policies 
tend, you know, he talks that kind of thing up all the time and appeals to a sense of fairness. And he's uh, clearly working in a utilitarian perspective. You know, not one of us can die, not now, not ever, not in my state, not on my watch, not today, not tomorrow. You know, he's got this righteous crusade about him where it's about the group over the individual. However, at the same time, he's not truly maximizing the utility of the group, as we're seeing with people coming out now with this, the leaked VAHI report, the Victorian Agency of Health Information, where we've got uh, teens, uh, 300 and something odd, presenting to hospitals uh, with um, self-harm emergencies per week. And we've got 100 and, uh, was 140-something presenting to hospital uh, after self-harm attempts and 37, I think it was, who had to be resuscitated upon arrival at hospital after self-harm attempts per week. All right, so there's that report. There's a whole bunch of others. The age, the lefty age has just come out criticizing Dan Andrews. All right, they're all coming out and, and going at him because the truth is he's probably not doing a true utilitarian perspective. He's actually being quite deontological. He actually thinks there is righteousness in his action at the beginning and he's doing this as the consequences come up. So that says to me, he's actually got quite a righteous religious zealotry uh, about him. And personally, uh, I'm ashamed to share the deontological ethical perspective with him. But also I am scared because he's like C.S. Lewis is saying, the greatest tyrants of all are those who are trying to do things for your own good. They persecute you with approval of their own conscience. So there you go. I hope you enjoyed uh, these the ethical uh, background on deontological versus teleological and how what we're seeing around the world today is probably two things. We're seeing uh, COVID restrictions and lockdowns come from the elite onto the masses. There's certainly a level of um, deontological perspective there where they think they're doing the right thing, by and large, um, but they're idiots. Uh, but there is also a teleological lens or a consequentialist lens or a utilitarian lens that they're all working from, which is we need to protect the herd over the individual. And it doesn't matter if some rights suffer as long as the group. So there's that happening as well. And then, of course, there's the positive law, natural law thing. They're all relying on positive law, 100%. All of them are just passing legislations and saying this is what's right because I said it's right. It's so out of control here in Victoria now. They're literally saying we don't need, we don't need scientific evidence at all. So it's just nuts. Anyway. That's what's happening around the world. There's some ways of thinking about it. This is just designed to have us think. It's not designed for me to tell you how to think. It's designed so that when we have arguments, when people scream at me for saying retard, we can see where people are coming from. And perhaps then when I scream back at them or whatever we do when people yell at us, instead of just inflaming the situation, I'm sure I'm guilty of this too, we can try and go to the root of it, right? And, and for example, in the retard example, maybe I can I can look at this and say, look, I understand you're measuring the harms that I'm doing by saying this word, but the truth is there's value in me just being honest with my true feelings of the word in the first place. I can do this deontological versus teleological argument. We can do that with positive law versus natural law. And overall, we can be a bit more forgiving of each other, knowing that we're not hating each other so much as we are all just coming from different perspectives. So of course, we think the other person is crazy because they're coming from a completely different perspective. Check out the interview tonight with Dr. Cameron Murray. It is very good. Have a good day. 